Katie's mom was diagnosed with cancer when she was 13 and passed when Katie was 16. Katie put her own grief on the back burner to make sure everyone else was okay. Ten years later, she is finally giving herself space to grieve. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Katie's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. We are glad you're here today. Today, I have with me Katie, um, and as soon as she starts talking, you'll be able to hear this beautiful little Southern draw that she has that I love. I went to high school in South Carolina in college, and my daughter is there in South Carolina right now. She's in North Carolina. Katie is in North Carolina, but I will just love listening to your voice as you tell us your story. Um, so I am going to turn the mic over to Katie and let her introduce herself and tell us her story. And then I will be back at the end with some questions. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you um, very much for having me. My name is Katie and um, I am in North Carolina. Um, my story starts when I was in the seventh grade. So I was about 13. At the time, um, it was 2009 or 2010, I believe, and we, my mom had not been feeling very well. Um, Her name is Beverly, and she was not feeling very well. She was having some discomfort um, in her abdominal region, and eventually she had gone to the doctor a few times about it. Um, And they told her to go ahead and go on to the hospital. This had maybe been going on for a month or so. And they took her to, my dad went with her. They went to the hospital. And I'll never forget, I was with my aunt and my brother at the time. And they thought it was her gallbladder. And my dad had sent a text to the family and they thought it was a gallbladder issue. And So I'm, you know, with other members of my family because my parents are at the hospital and we come, I come back to the house and I'm sitting on the couch in my living room and I just grabbed an ice cream sandwich from the freezer and my dad walked in the door and my mom was not with him and my dad sat down on the couch opposite me and I had just peeled back the paper on my ice cream sandwich and he sat down and he said hey we need to talk and he proceeded to tell me that my mom was very sick and that she had cancer but she was tough and she was a fighter and you know she's going to go see the doctors and everything's going to be okay um but that mom is really sick right now and she's going to be in the hospital for a little bit longer. And I did not eat ice cream sandwiches after that for a very, very long time. It was something that really stuck with me in that moment that I carried around for a long time. And afterwards, I we had a really big chair out on our back deck and I went and sat in that chair and I cried myself to sleep on our back deck. Um, and after that, it was just this, this flurry of doctors and my parents are gone and families staying with us and people are dropping off food. And 
one thing that I have to say about the small little town that I grew up in is that when this awful thing happened to my family, everybody showed up. Everybody was there. They put together fundraisers to help with the medical bills and they sent cards and, um, you know, people who were members of churches, they did um, all kinds of prayers and uh, prayer phone trees for her and all, all kinds of things. And they really came together and were very, very supportive over the next couple of years. And my dad made it, um, he set aside time for us to do things as a family, even though we were going through this really awful time. He said, we're going to go on trips. We're going to go and do these things as a family. And from the outside looking in, you wouldn't really think that anything was wrong with my mom. She just carried herself in such a way that a lot of people didn't realize how severe her illness was. And I didn't realize for quite some time either. My dad didn't tell me one because I was 13. My younger brother, um, he's five years younger than I am. So he was eight. I'm terrible at math, uh, but somewhere around there at the time. And it wasn't until later that I found out that my mom had been diagnosed at the time, the, the, after they found out it wasn't her gallbladder, she was immediately diagnosed with stage four uh, colorectal cancer. And you never would have known. You just, you wouldn't have known. She was as beautiful as ever, carried herself in such a way. She had such hope and such a spark that I didn't, I just didn't realize a lot of people didn't. And we went and did things as a family and it was such a fun time in my life. And she just carried this burden on her shoulders. My dad carried an even larger burden for, for about two years, I think. Um, he didn't let the doctors tell her that she was terminal when she was first diagnosed. Um, he, he shouldered that burden alone. And I honestly, I don't know how it didn't kill him in the process. Um, he was worried that she would uh, become much worse far quicker if she knew that there wasn't a light at the end of the tunnel. So she really, she believed and had so much hope for about two years after she was diagnosed until the medication, um, the chemo and the experimental drugs until they just stopped working. And that's finally when he told her. And really after that is when things began on a downslope. Um, you know, that, that light at the end of the tunnel wasn't really there anymore, but she, she fought so hard for the entire three and a half years from the time of her diagnosis, um, until her passing. But, um, when I was in the, I was a sophomore in high school, so I was 16, and it was the last, it, my birthday's in February, and she threw me a sweet 16 party, and like, there was absolutely nothing wrong, and she went with me, and we bought my prom dress together, and we took pictures for prom and then when school got out in June we all went to the beach and 
she was very, very sick there. And my dad told her that she had to make it back. She had to make it back home because my younger brother, who was 11 now at this point, he's 11 and I'm 16. My dad said, you have to make it back home because your son is winning, you know, the player of the year award for his baseball league. He's like, you have to make it back home. You have to go see it. And while we were at the beach, he truly thought that this was it, that she wasn't going to make it. Uh, she didn't get out of the bed the entire week that we were there. He was, you know, routing hospital trips and making all of these emergency plans. And after he told her that she had to come back home, she, you know, put some pep in her step and she got it together and she went back home and she got up that Saturday morning, got dressed, put makeup on and went down to the ball field to watch my brother be presented with this award. And we took photos and people said that she looked so good and, you know, that she looked like she was doing a lot better. But, you know, a couple of weeks after that is when they had to call in hospice and I had just gotten home from my part-time job and a nurse from the hospice house was there and my parents were, my mom was laying on the couch. My dad was in the living room along with this person from hospice. And he just kind of looked at me and said, okay, it's, it's Tom. And we, you know, I need you to help me pack up her stuff and move her. And I knew what that meant because the year prior, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she was in hospice and I knew what the process was. We had just done it the year before, but a couple days before this day, when she was going to be moved to hospice, I had had a dream where my mom, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but in my dream, my mom was sitting on the bed with me and she put my hand in hers and she looked at me and said, I'm so sorry, but I have to leave soon. And that was it. That was my whole dream. And a couple of days later, she um, is, you know, being moved to hospice. My brother had gone to the beach with his friends and I had to drive with my aunt to go pick him up. Um, he had just left a couple of days before. My dad was at the hospice house trying to get her settled. So we drove the couple hours to pick up my brother and my aunt and I cried the whole way there, but we had to get it together because my brother's 11 and he doesn't understand what's going on. So when we pick him up, he's in the back seat and we lie to him and tell him that mom's just at another part of the hospital. She's just had to go to a different part of the doctors and we drive home. And after we get home, um, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what, what am I supposed to do? Where, where am I supposed to be? My dad is at the hospice house. Um, random family members are staying between aunts and cousins and grandparents. They're staying with me and my brother so that we're not home alone. And, um, there's just in the day or two that followed, there was just a lot of back and forth and what do I do and I don't I don't know what's going on but 
I finally decided that I felt bad and I didn't want to lie to my brother as hard as it was. I, the thought of him being blindsided by what was about to happen did not sit well with me. So I walked into his room and I sat down with him uh, on his bed and I told him probably one of the hardest things that I think I've ever had to say. Um, and he just cried in my lap uh, because mom wasn't going to come home. And it was awful. It was so awful, that conversation. But I just could not let him be blindsided because he thinks that she was, she, he thought she would come home and she wasn't. And the next day, um, I believe we went to hospice to see her and to visit her. And our father took us outside to pretty much have that same conversation just with the both of us together that, um, you know, mom was going to go to heaven soon and, you know, that we would get through it. Um, it was obviously not a super pleasant conversation. It was really hard. Um, he told us that we needed to go say goodbye. Um, so we did, we went back in and because she had, um, she had had colon cancer. That's where it had started originally. Um, but it had spread to several other places in the abdominal region. So into her liver. And I think she had some spots on her lungs as well. Um, but because she was so heavily medicated, her liver wasn't processing those medications. So she was, kind of loopy, a little out of it, um, not super cognizant. And we, we went in there and we told, we said goodbye. Um, and our dad made the decision that um, we couldn't come back to see her um, from then until the time when she would ultimately pass. He didn't want our last memories of her to be ones that where we didn't recognize her, where she was so disoriented and, you know, couldn't speak and so frail. He didn't want those to be the last ones we had. So we said goodbye and I took my brother home and we were at home for a couple of days. Um, I can't really remember because it's been, um, it'll be 10 years in July um, that she passed. And, but a couple of days after we had parted ways, my dad woke me up. Um, he was kneeling in front of my bed and he told me that my mom had died about um, two hours before um, and that he couldn't wait any longer to wake me up. So, we sat and cried in my floor for a while. Um, but we got up and told my brother and we started funeral preparations. Um, my mom didn't want anybody to be burdened with her planning her funeral. So she had actually done it all herself before. She had picked out the pictures and the music and pretty much planned her own 
service. So we made the preparations and we got them together and presented them. And I went with my dad to all of the appointments uh, with the funeral home. And we waited at home. People started coming over. Everybody heard the news. People were calling and texting. And it was very overwhelming to deal with. Um, but the funeral director came to our home um, that morning. And I don't know that I'll ever forget this. He looked at my dad and he said, um, he looked at my dad in the kitchen and he said, I brought your sweetheart home. And um, I think that's a memory that will stay with me forever. Um, his kindness and, you know, just how much he wanted my dad to know that my mom was okay and that he brought her back. Um, but we, we kept on and the people in our family and in our community came together to celebrate my mom and her funeral, um, was just like she planned it and it was very hard um, to get through I think I have blocked out a lot of it a lot of those memories because you know at 16 that's probably the most excruciating thing I had ever been through and I'm so and I was very worried mostly about my brother but about my dad and if they were going to be okay. And my aunt had actually said to me at one point, a couple of days before this, that she was worried the most for me because she knew that I would put my well-being aside for theirs. Yeah, which is eventually kind of what happened. Um, you know, my brother was so young and my dad had just shouldered such a hard burden for a long time and he was so tired he told me one morning a couple months after my mom had passed that he didn't know what his purpose was now because the thing that drove him to get up every day and that gave him something to do was now gone and he didn't know what to do with his days anymore. He didn't have that thing to to tend to and to take care of. And he felt very lost. And he was in, I mean, obviously he was going for, through the grieving process. What I didn't realize at the time is that I put my own grief on the back burner to make sure that everybody else was okay. And I would do it again in a heartbeat because I love them and I want them to be okay. My brother was very, um, he was, he was the thing that I needed to make sure he was okay. And he had to be okay now because mom's not here and he was a mama's boy. He, he was very much a mama's boy. Um, her spitting image looks just like him. Um, but you know, he would, show up in my room in the middle of the night sobbing and asked to come sleep with me so he would crawl on the bed with me and he would stay there um, throughout the night he would 
asked me to help him with homework or to sign this permission slip, um, pack my lunch. Can you, you know, I take, I took him to school, Um, you know, are your practice clothes ready? So I just stepped into this role to make sure that he was okay. And he, he was, he is, he's, he's great. He's doing very well. He's a very handsome, you know, 21 year old now, and I'm so proud of him. And I would sacrifice everything that I gave up in those, you know, that time in a heartbeat just to make sure that he was okay because he needed somebody to be there. Um, and as I got older, I didn't process the grief. I didn't process what had happened and this newfound responsibility that I had, you know, taken on. I didn't process those things. I pushed it back and back and the adults in my life at the time, they kind of expected me to be okay. Um, There was an expect, it was almost like there was an expiration on the grieving process. And I had just started my junior year of high school, like a month later. And, you know, I'm doing all of these things. I'm trying to get ready for my life. And not that I wanted pity or sympathy, but just for someone, just for an adult to say, I see, like, you don't have to be okay. But the expectation was, well, that was a couple months ago and you have things to do and now it's time to move on. So, you know, there was, there was just no, no time to, time to grieve. I had to get over it and pick up and move on. So there were years afterwards that I hadn't processed this grief and this anger that I had carried around because I didn't, I didn't understand why it had happened to my family, why it had happened to her. She was 35 when she was diagnosed and she passed away um, a few weeks shy of her 39th birthday. And, you know, I, I went for years you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, before this wave of depression just finally took over, before it finally really hit me that these are things that I can't change. And I'm so angry and I don't understand why I'm so angry and why things are this way. And, you know, I don't, I think that a lot of times people assume that you're going to get over it because you have to, because you have to move on. We have, the world keeps spinning. The sun is going to come up and you have to move on. And now, you know, as an adult, I'm trying to figure out how to process grief that I acquired 10 years ago. What do I do with it? Where does it go? You know, and I started going to therapy eventually, finally. And you know, that's something that I have been, that I've been working on is, you know, my therapist has talked to me about the, you know, the five stages of grief and where we are with that. And something that we have continued to harbor on is, is the anger and the why, and why does this happen? Why does it, why is it this way? Why did I have to, you know, take on the role of a parent all of a sudden? And why did nobody care enough to ask how are you? Are you okay? And then tell me, 
it's okay to not be okay. You know, I'm now processing the emotions of a 16 and 17 year old at 26. I'm dealing with it now because I wasn't able to deal with it then. So I think the, the way that grief has been, you know, this thing that I've held on to for so long, but haven't been able to work through is an interesting, it's interesting to look at it now and think about it in, in that scope. And something that my father and I have talked about, um, which we had talked about at the time after my mom had passed is what is our new normal? What is that going to look like? And I think about it now, what is my new normal? Well, I'm finally at a point where, you know, does my mom cross my mind a lot? Absolutely. Do I think about her every day and to where it's it's crippling? No, I'm finally at a point where this is my new normal. And there are times when it breaks my heart that my mother is not a part of my normal. She's not a part of my day-to-day. To think about her isn't this crippling sadness it's it doesn't overtake me to to the point where I can't breathe and can't function anymore but I you know my new normal is a life you know without her in it and there are times when that that thought breaks my heart that she's not a part of my day-to-day she's not a part of my new normal and the thought crosses my mind what would she think about this what would she say about this what, you know, if I could call her up and ask her opinion, what would she, what would she say? And I wonder oftentimes, what would she be like now, you know, in her forties? What would she, what would she think of me as an adult? What would our relationship look like? And it's, that is, that is a sad thought. It's also a distant thought too in the same breath um because she's been gone so long now 10 years that the memory of her the thought of her is like almost like something from a past life um you know I had it's like my brain separates those two parts of me and this is this is me now and that was me then it's like my past life that she was a part of and my current life she isn't so it's it's such a strange um dynamic that those two those two parts of me are um you know it it was hard for me to postulate the the thought of her not being there for the big things you know graduating high school um turning 21 getting married which I'm not married but you know getting married maybe one day having kids maybe one day watching my brother graduate get married have kids that one was I think that was harder for me the thought of him not having her than it was for me um it made my heart hurt more for him um but you know he was 11 and it's only going to be one more year before she's been gone just as long as as he knew her 
And my time is quickly approaching where I will, you know, she will have been gone longer than she was in my life. And I've thought and thought about what does that, what does that mean for me? What does that look like for me when I reach a point where she's been gone longer than I knew her? And I think that she's always going to be in my thoughts. She'll always, she'll always be there kind of lingering like a shadow in my life. Like it's her imprint was always going to be there. Um, more like she's guiding me along instead of whispering in my ear about what to do, um, which I like to think is comforting. Um, after she, the day that she passed away, there were yellow butterflies everywhere, every all over our house, all throughout the town. One of her friends in Texas actually called um, another one of the friends here and said, I don't know if you guys have seen, but there are butterflies everywhere. Um, so I like to think that every time I see one, she is whispering hello. Um, so I know she's out there watching. Um, she's just taking a back seat to watching. Um, but you know, she, she wrote a letter to all three of us, um, individually. So if I do ever need advice or I think, oh, what would, what would mom say about this? What are her thoughts on that? Uh, well, she told me she has them all written down so that I know what they are. And, you know, she has told me, um, a lot and she made a made it a point to put it in her letter um is to give myself some grace so i think that her motherly advice can be applicable to most of us out there especially when we're talking about grief and this loss that just feels you know otherworldly consuming that when there's that void that's there and you know you question what should I have said this I should have done better you know I could have I could have would have should have whatever it might be I think my mom probably has the best advice there and it's just to give yourself some grace just don't be so hard on yourself because I don't think that there are any of us um, out there if we were able to ask our moms. I think all of our moms as a collective would say that they are proud of us and that they love us and that they are watching us do the very best that we can. And that's really all that we could kind of ask for is just to, to have that tucked away in the back. So that is my story about my sweet mommy. Sounds like an amazing person to be able to be so cognizant to write you each a letter and to be that in-depth in it and intentional. Yeah. Yeah, she was um she was a very bright spot in the world. She was a very kind and wonderful person. Yeah, she certainly sounds like it. Um 
I do hope that you continue to give yourself grace and give yourself space to do what you're doing now. But I also just touched my heart how much you care for your brother and your dad too. But you've, you've, you've stepped into that maternal role with your brother. Um, you care about him a lot. <laughs> I do. Um, I do. There, there are very few things that in this world that I would not do for him. Um, he's so special and sweet and he just he needed um to be protected um he's just he just has a sweet and pure soul he you know i just felt like his you know outlook on the world needed to be protected and that he needed to be protected so you know, I did what I needed to do to make sure that he was okay. If he, if I knew that he was going to be okay, I would be okay. I didn't care about anything else. If he was okay, that's, that's all I needed. He just, if he was okay, that's it. Um, but he is, he is one of my very best friends. He has developed into such a good young man and I'm so proud of him and I would do all of that over again in a heartbeat um just for him to turn out okay just so that he would be fun and do you two talk about your your mother loss at all we do um we've talked about it um a little bit he he is not one to talk about things in exuberant detail he never has been um but we, we've talked about it on occasion. We actually lost um, our grandmother last year. And when that was happening, we talked about it because one of the things that we had talked about was that we felt we've had a lot of loss in our family, grandparents, um, and, you know, just a lot of sickness and our mom. And it was, it was just a lot um, family-wise that we had dealt with and when our grandmother had passed last year we talked about our mother and how we felt like sometimes we just couldn't catch a break from loss and he went on to talk about her and he's asked me things about her so young he can't remember he doesn't remember things in bright details um like I, not that I remember everything quite like my dad does, but he remembers less than I do. So I, you know, we would share, we would share those things back and forth. And one of the things that we did talk about was how we can't remember her voice. We can't remember what she sounds like anymore, but we had talked about her, um, her voice in particular um that's one of the things that faded for us over time was that sound so my dad had actually asked me about it a couple weeks ago and he told me that my brother can't remember what she sounds like and I said well I can't either and he was very he was shocked by that that I couldn't um so we do talk about her we like to share stories about her um and we tried our best to, you know, remember the little details and um, 
to just so that he has more of those things to hold on to, even if he can't remember all of them. And I will say my mom's friends are wonderful about making sure that we remember things about her and they tell us, you know, they remind us that she's proud of us and that she loves us whenever we see them, which isn't often these days, but whenever we do see them, they make sure to remind us for her. Um, So they, as you know, as a collective, they make sure that my brother and I are very aware of, you know, who she was, what she felt and what she thought about us. That's awesome. They're very great. Good, good. Um, The one other thing, when you were talking about your dad and how he felt like he lost his purpose and things, I did a podcast on, I called it caregiver identity loss. Like, I don't know, you know, but not only do you physically lose the person that you've been caring for, but then there's that whole role that you've stepped into, especially when it's a long-term illness. Your mom was sick for, you know, over, you said three and a half years it becomes a role that you step into. And it is, it is, it's such a um, double-sided loss. Um, in addition to the physical loss, it is a huge hole that's left behind. Um, so how is your dad doing now? He is much better now. Um, that first year after she had passed, he, I think, was very lost both in, you know, now, his his charge is not there anymore you know he's he's lost that role but he's also you know he's lost his wife the love of his life they had known each other since they were children they actually dated in the sixth grade and good friends throughout high school um and then they had me um you know when they were in their early 20s so they had just they had known each other their entire lives and this person who's been there for, you know, six, you know, 18 years, something along those lines, you know, she's not there anymore. And what do you do? So he was lost for a while and he, he climbed his way back. He fought his way back out of that pit um, because he had two children that he had to take care of and make sure that they were okay and saw them off but he actually he got remarried um he met my stepmom um when I was about 18 I think and they have been together since they got married in 2020 actually um and she has been very good I think for him um uh, she is wonderful she um is very understanding of our situation. Um, she has never tried to take her place, but she, it, I, if there is, I love her. She's great. But if there was ever anything that I would solely be grateful for ever is that she helped take care of my brother after I had, you know, moved out of the house and everything. She was there for him in that role. Uh, when I wasn't, and I will always be grateful to her for that, but she, I mean, she puts up with my dad, so I can only say thank you for doing that, but she is very respectful um, of the fact that my dad loved my mom, and that my brother and I love our mom, and, you know, 
she had pictures up of my mother in their house still like she's never tried to take them down or anything disrespectful my birthday was a few weeks ago in her birthday post she posted a picture of me and my mom so she's very very considerate um about that and I'm very thankful that she um is a is a good person um and that she is that way amazing um because that is a that is a hard dynamic to step into um a second wife and a stepmom and she does it very gracefully and very well and I think that she helped pull my dad back to um you know back into a a good place he was moving there already and she just kind of grabbed his hand and tugged him along a little quicker so that's good that's good I loved what you said about that he um, you know, gave her the hope in light for two years when he didn't tell her that the original diagnosis was terminal. Like, wow, that what that's that's so like what an act of love. It truly is one of the most selfless things that I have ever seen somebody do. Um, because you can't now that like if you went to go look at photos of my mom during those times, like as she's sick in those two years, but she doesn't know versus after the fact, she's not, you know, after she finds out, you can see that there's more of a, a decline. Um, but he, I don't, how he shouldered that burden alone, he didn't tell anybody. And he carried that weight with him for two years all by himself so that she would have a better quality of life. And I don't know that I have ever seen a more selfless act given it's truly remarkable really is yeah well as you know katie i usually wrap up the podcast with if there's a final thought or something that you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up i think that you know i will let my mom do the the wrapping up i'll use her words and just to you know give yourself give yourself some grace and don't be so hard on yourself. Um, if her greatest wish to me is that I wasn't so hard on myself and that I think we could all use a little more of that on our journeys, um, to be kind, to love as hard as we can and to be grateful for the time that we do have, even if it, even if it is short, because those, those years or those moments help shape us into who we are and, those moments of joy will you know be embers in the dark for years to come they shine through even when you know it seems like it's the darkest night so give yourself some grace it's it gets better eventually at some point it gets better um but just don't be so hard on yourself in the meantime spoken like the wise old 26 year old that you are (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story and, um, you know, continue to follow that path of grace that your mom Beverly has set out for you. I try. It's hard sometimes, but I try. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. 
If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.